What's up guys, welcome to Ronin Radio, tuning in today to listen to Kaz Emerson, one of our awesome members, and we're touching base on all things nutrition around the current global pandemic we are experiencing, COVID-19. So listen up, share it with your friends, share it with your family, let's all stay healthy together. What's up, Kaz? Hi, Emil. Hey, things. I'm doing good, doing good. So I usually uh, start this with saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on, but I think we, we've got a little bit more time than usual. <laughs> no, thanks a million. Yeah, exactly. Literally nothing better to do. So um, <laughs> thanks for asking. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So I'm going to start maybe, Kaz, just give us a little bit about kind of your history around nutrition. Mm-hmm. Are we going to do the in? We are definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, I think that yeah that would have already have happened, and now we'd be talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so look, I suppose I'll give you a little bit of a background or bio, just so people know that you don't have a random quack on your podcast. Um, so I'm Kaz Emerson, and my background is nutrition. So I have a bachelor's of science in human nutrition from UCD. Um, in terms of professional experience. Um, I've worked both kind of in the public health sector and then also in the food industry as well. So with regard to public health, I worked in the Food Safety Authority of Ireland uh, as part of their public health nutrition team. So this is the team that's responsible for, you know, conducting research on the Irish diet or publishing the health eating guidelines. Um, And then I moved into the food industry. So at the moment, I'm working in business development for a global uh, ingredient company. And um, my team look after the plant-based food market across Europe and Russia. So slightly varied, I'd say, um, but despite kind of working on plant-based food at the moment, you know, I don't really have one particular ethos or approach when it comes to nutrition. Um, You know, I'm not vegan or vegetarian or paleo or whatever. I kind of just believe that a diet made up primarily of whole foods is the way to go. Um, And then in terms of, CrossFit and my, and my journey with yourself, Amos, um, I've been with Ronan since September. So kind of just in the beginning of my, my CrossFit journey as well. Right. Just September, is it? Wow, feels like longer. Yeah, it feels like a lot longer, doesn't it? Yeah. The like CrossFit baby. I know, exactly. It's literally the <laughs> best decision I made last year, though, for sure. Deadly. Yeah, you've been making some great progress. It's been fantastic to have you on board. Oh, and uh, you got your little uh, gift voucher for smashing the burpees then. The other day I as well. know. I was just thinking, I was like, we just need to find a CrossFit competition that is just burpees and all these things. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything else is like such a challenge. But for some reason, I'm, I love burpees. Like, so yeah. who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, how long were you involved with the public health side of things? Uh, so I worked for the Food Safety Authority for about two years. Um, and then, you know, to be honest, I moved just because career um so there wasn't a huge progression at the time um but I loved the content of there it was it was so interesting so you know I worked in the food safety authority when kind of calorie on menu labeling was coming in there was a lot I got to do a lot of research in terms of the Irish diet so you get a kind of a good overall 
view in terms of the diet across both the UK and Ireland right. and the kind of key challenges in terms of public health at the moment. So um, it was great. And now being in the food industry, you see the other side of things, you know, but it's still nutrition, especially in based food in the area that I'm working on now. It's just a top priority for everyone. So um, there really isn't really any sort of meeting that I go to and work where nutrition isn't a topic on the agenda, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. So, yeah. And you say, you mentioned plant-based foods. That's kind of a, a key topic in your job at the moment, is it? Mm. Yeah. So um, I suppose, you know, at the moment, everyone's kind of looking for sustainable ways to meet. We're all trying to do better, you know, both for ourselves and then for the planet. So sustainability and protein alternatives is a kind of a key topic and a key message for people. Um, so, I mean, our company also works with and a range of different energy markets, but um, where I work in is, is looking at protein alternatives. Um, so whether that's wheat or soy-based proteins, um, but it's just, it's a really exciting and emerging area to be working in at the moment because, because the science is endless. You know, in five years, we could all be eating insects, like <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Or, you know, lab-grown meat, and it's just uh, the real, and from a business development perspective, it's really interesting as well because, you have to decide, well, where should we play? You know, where, where is the market going? Yeah. Um, and again, I would say, you know, consumers, a lot of consumers are quite confused as well. They don't, a lot of consumers aren't really sure what they should be eating from a nutritional perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. So where we're at right now, currently we've got this COVID-19 crisis going on. We're smack bang in the middle of a pandemic. It uh, even, I'm still coming to terms with it myself. It's kind of a, you go, you're kind of going through your day and then you're like, what the absolute is going on? It's like, are we actually in a pandemic right now? <laughs> I know. But, um, it, it is crazy because, you know, you're going about your day, like you said, and just concentrating on like the small wins. You know, I'm going to get my work in and I'm going to go for a walk. And then you actually take a step back and realize what's actually going on in the world. And yeah. it's, it's very overwhelming for people. Yeah. Um, are you are you on Wi-Fi, Kaz? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. it's kind of bouncing in out just a little bit, but it should be okay. Um, okay. The COVID nineteen crisis we are looking at uh, at the moment. We've been uh, obviously people in the Ronan group and stuff. We've been training hard. We've been staying on live Zoom. We've been I've been working with people on the nutrition, a little bit of advice around habits and stuff like that. And one of the main reasons we're getting you on was your expertise and we could dig into a little bit some of the topics that we brought up previously. And uh, I know one of the things that's on people's mind a lot in fitness is kind of staying in shape, not even getting in shape, staying in shape. And obviously when, you, when you're locked in the house and your physical activity decreases a huge amount, that becomes potentially a little bit more challenging for people. So one of the things that we're definitely going to start out with is, uh, you know, what, what would you see as the biggest issue when you're talking about that decrease in activity and body composition? Mm. Well, that's the thing, like you said, and probably a lot of your clients, you know, body composition is going to be a key goal for them. So that could be for it being performance based or just for their own body composition goals. Um, and I think what we're going to see through this pandemic, one of the effects of that is, our physical and our movement, our physical activity and movement has become restricted. So even if, you know, like ourselves, you're getting those challenging conference, like home workouts in, the rest of your day, so what's known as your niche activity, so that means your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. So that's essentially all the movement that you make during the day, just getting up, 
you know, going to work, walking to the bus, that's become decreased then. And the reality is that take that makes up the majority of our total energy daily expenditure. So I suppose even despite the really challenging home workouts, we'll still see a decrease in our overall energy expenditure for the day. And we know that, you know, in very simplistic terms, body composition, a lot of it is down to that energy balance formula. So energy in versus energy out. So if your goal is, you know, that you want to lose weight and you're hoping that the majority of that will be fat, well, then what you'd really need to do, and to be honest, and I think the easiest way, you know, if people are concerned about this and if their body composition is, is causing them anxiety, the easiest way I think is actually just to track it. You know, there's a huge amount of tools available so you can track your daily activity either through a health app or your Fitbit or your Apple Watch. And that will give you an estimate of your total energy expenditure based on, you know, your own metabolism. So your resting metabolic rate and then your physical activity layered on top of that. And then what you can do is you can sync that with an app like, you know, my fitness pal and input all your food, like a food diary. And then that will tell you whether you're in a calorie deficit or whether you're kind of eating at maintenance calories or whether you're in a calorie surplus. So just say your goal is, you know, to you want to lose weight. Well, then you should be aiming for, I would say, a modest calorie deficit of, you know, no more than 500 calories per day. And then that would equate to a weight loss of around about one to two pounds a week. And then to minimize the amount of lean muscle mass that you'd lose during that time, because we don't just lose fat when we lose weight. You know, you can your body will also break down proteins in your muscle and you, you will lose lean mass as well. And um, what you can do then is couple that with the kind of exercise and well-rounded resistance program like what we do in, in Ronan um, to minimize those lean those lean muscle mass, the lean muscle uh, loss as well. Yeah. Um, so look, you know, if that is a concern, absolutely those tools are there and you can track it. And that might give you a, maybe a feeling of control in this like really turbulent time. And then similarly, if you know, if you're looking to gain um, weight during the time you're looking to gain lean muscle, you need to be in a modest calorie surplus. Um, and then again, couple it, couple it with a well-rounded um, resistance program. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, this, I think tracking isn't for everyone. And some people, for some people, it might give them a feeling of control. And for others, it actually might stress them out further. So I know, obviously, Amo, you have like your one-to-one chats with your clients and you would obviously, you know, assess that. Um, so I suppose the approach that that I take during this time personally for, you know, my own relationship with food and with my body um, is trying to think, well, what can I eat during this time that's not only going to support, you know, my physical and my immune health, but what can I eat that that's actually going to support my emotional and my mental health as well um, during, you know, a really novel and stressful time? All right. And um, <clears throat> just to tie that one up then with, with, with energy balance, if that's the conversation that we could literally just bang on about for hours. And oh, I think if there's anybody listening yeah. that has any questions on that, maybe just give me a shout, give me a DM or we could hook up on a free zoom call or if you're in the gym and they wanted to chat to you about it, but <clears throat> it's, it's not a case of we're going in all out and staying in a deficit forever or a surplus forever. We'll manage these into little blocks with specific goals and specific timelines. And outside of that, like Kaz was, was mentioning, there's kind of a couple of different ways that you can do this. And 
maybe to manage that energy balance as a little bit more of a free-flowing thing, a nice thing to do is just to go with your newly adjusted hunger signals. You might just find you're a little bit less hungry and maybe you just tone down the size of your, your meals just a slight little bit. I think. What do you think of the idea of uh, maybe manipulating macros slightly in this situation, Kaz, maybe just reducing carbs slightly? <clears throat> yeah, I think, like, obviously, the most important thing is your total calories. Yeah. And then after that, the other things that you can manipulate is either your macronutrients. So, I mean, there's a lot of research to show um, weight loss in terms of, you know, slightly lower carb diets. You know, a lot of that will be through the manipulation of water. You know, we know that... Um, each gram of carbohydrate in your liver and in your muscle uh, also holds three grams of water. So a lot of people, when they start on maybe a low-carb diet and they see this amazing result, and, and you will actually physically look leaner from being on a low-carb diet because your body won't be holding as much water. Um, but a lot of it is through more so manipulation of water. Um, or you could look at carbohydrate cycling, and you could, you know, d- depending on what your, what your training is doing at the moment, then look at cycling those carbohydrates around those higher intensity sessions as well. And then thirdly, after that, it's all about nutrient timing as well. So making sure that you're getting the right nutrients in to actually support whether it's, you know, um, lean muscle gains, you know, you need, need to make sure that you're getting the right branch chain amino acids to the right carbohydrate ratio all around the different sets of your training. So, I mean, there's a huge amount of factors that you can come into play Um for this and i but i again it, like you could have a whole whole podcast on, yeah. on just talking about energy balance and it completely depends on what someone's goals are yeah, absolutely um, yeah and i think again as i said it depends on someone's goals but as well as that you know what you mentioned there around your own satiety cues i think people can get very obsessed with the numbers and you know if you if you have generally a quite healthy diet um, you should be in a position where, where you can intuitively eat as well and and hopefully you know we should get to that point where we don't need to overthink it as much yeah and you know your body's telling you when you're hungry um and then you can see the results in the mirror and if you don't then maybe tweak something small but you know making huge drastic changes over a short period of time is never the answer yeah and maybe then a little bit of a combination of both of those methods that we just discussed which would be give my fitness pal or something to go for a week with your new energy output. Okay. So you're not getting as many steps in, you're not buzzing around as much. So this is your new output. What kind of calories do you need to take in? Get a feel for that for a couple of days and then just wash your hands up my fitness pal again and adjust to that kind of simple meal plan that you're following. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good approach because what you get when you've even tracked for a week is you get really good at eyeballing calories. And then oftentimes, you know, we're creatures of habit as well. So, we tend to eat the same things very regularly. So you're going to be like, okay, well, that lunch is around 400 to 500 calories. I don't need to track it again. And you, all of a sudden you've become aware and of the days when you're like, oh, I probably have overrest today or God, I haven't eaten enough, you know, and you'll start to see patterns in your energy levels then when you've eaten certain foods. So I think with my fitness pal, you know, you need to know yourself and with regards to tracking. Um, and it totally depends on the individual. You know, if you're someone that's had a history of disordered eating, I would say it's not appropriate. You know, if you're someone that has BMI that's, you know, un- under 20, probably not appropriate. Or if you're someone that's naturally going to become obsessed with numbers, again, this won't be the approach for you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for a lot of the general population, all it is doing is providing you with information. 
you know, if that's going to be triggering for you, you know, that's fine. Don't do it. Um, but if it's not, and if you, if you think that you want that information, um, it can be a really useful tool because it takes a lot of the guesswork out of nutrition. Yeah. Um, and I know for a lot of people, it will give them a feeling of control. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, every food that you buy in the supermarket will have the calories on the back of pack and nutritional labeling. So you're essentially just doing the same thing for your home cooked meals. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, so I would see it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the, the approach. Like, it's two months ago or a month ago, even I would take one. We're not in a pandemic where you're kind of being mm-hmm. sensitive to people's the relationship with food and maybe what particular method might be the best for them to get the best results. Then, when you add this current situation that we're in, which is going to be hugely stressful and anxiety inducing and all, like, you know, it's definitely important for us to mention to even our quite small listenership that, you know, it's not a time to put any extra pressure on yourself if it's something that you don't feel like you can really get a control on or, or get benefit from. Like this is this is a time to be as easy on yourself as possible. But also if there is, if you're grasping onto normality, which a lot of people are, where it's like, no, I get my training in, I get a pump on, I get my oats in the morning and my smoothie and all that. And you just want to keep this going and you want to be in a prime position for when we definitely do get back to the gym, then by all means, you know, dig in. Yeah. I completely agree so like we said everyone has their own relationship with food you know and not to get too philosophical about it but you know your relationship with food is really your relationship with yourself so I would say know yourself think about whether it's going to be helpful for you and maybe tracking could be something useful Um, but otherwise either way we still need to focus on our nutrition during this time so it might be a numbers game for body composition you know, like nutrition is so much more than a tool to manipulate how we look. Um, but it should be, and kind of the way that I'm thinking of it at the moment is making sure that I am ingesting all the key nutrients that I need to support my mental health and my emotional health and my immune function and making sure that my family are doing the same. Nice. Um. I don't know how that's going with your family, but my family are hard to, hard to get anything out of trying to keep them in the house. <laughs> no, stay in. Don't go out, Dad. Don't go out. No, the shop's not fine. No, no. But, oh, no, uh, my, mine, so, are, mine are the opposite. I'm calling my um my parents home, like the bunker. Like, they won't leave. Do you know what I mean? Really? So, no way. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's brilliant, the though. They're way. so safe, though. Fair play to them. Yeah. Um, so I love it. I love where you're going with this because this is, you know, as part of the CrossFit and the type of fitness that I run, it's, it is, it's a holistic approach to fitness and nutrition. They're tools that we can use, uh, calorie tracking, all these types of things, but they're not essential. And um, the type of things that you're about to introduce us now to could be some really uh, good information for definitely some of our members and anyone listening. So uh, around mental health and food, what kind of, what would be your top tips to uh, maximize your food and shopping now and intake for mental health and well-being? Well, I think in terms of, you know, nutrition and mental health, I think it's not only about what we're eating, it's also about how we're eating it. So, for example, like one really simple tip that I think everyone can do is just by having set meal times throughout the day. So a lot of us now are creating a new routine for ourselves and we might be struggling with that. Or, you know, you could be responsible for creating that new routine for your whole family. And there's a lot of research to show that having set meal times throughout the day can support the anxiety of circadian rhythm, which we know is directly linked to, obviously, your sleep quality, also your immune health and your cognition. 
So again, super tip that everyone can implement. Um, but it goes kind of beyond that as well. So um, there's a lot of research to show that even having um, set meal times where we're devoid of distractions. And I know, Eamon, you talk a lot about mindfulness. You know, um, by just having set meal times, turning off the news, you know, and, and sitting down with your family or if you're living alone, concentrating on the food that you've prepared for yourself is a really easy way to exercise mindfulness. And what you're doing is physically you're priming your digestive system for the food you're about to eat. So you're going through the act of mechanically breaking it down and then you're priming your digestive system to chemically break it down as well. And there's research to show that people that um, you know, practice mindfulness through their meal times actually have a higher level of satiety and satisfaction following that meal. And that can lead to a reduction in snacking throughout the day. So again, you know, if excess calories or surplus calories are a bit of a concern during this time, then that's one tip that's really easy to do um, that might kind of counteract the risk of us overconsuming and, you know, grazing by the fridge. Um, and, you know, obviously sitting, the tensions might be high in your family as well. So sitting down, having quality times over meal times can really support interfamilial relationships as well. Um, if it's a case that you're single, this is a time maybe that you can do, you know, a conference call with your friends and having those set meal times. Saying, oh, you know, I'm not sitting at the fridge and not really having a routine because, you know, as I said, humans are creatures of habit and most of us thrive in, in a scenario where we have a routine. Um, so I think that's the first tip. And again, I think it's something that everyone can implement or even just, you know, try it for a week and see how much better that they feel. Yeah, I love it. That's a fantastic mm -hmm. tip. It was one of the first things my wife said to me like two or three days in. She was like, let's establish some like time to just have lunch together and have no phones because we were already kind of diving headlong into a new routine and trying to get loads of done and then trying to rescue a business and it's all like look we need to just maximize this time together and definitely when you talk about phones like the amount of information we can get absolutely slammed with at the moment with covid information it's just it can be very overwhelming so that's that's a fantastic bit of advice yeah and i know you talk a lot about you know turning challenges into opportunities and that kind of mindset piece and um, that you talk about at Rowan. So, you know, a lot of us are working from home now, our commute is from our bed to our kitchen table or whatever. But it is yeah, it is potentially an opportunity for us to spend a little bit more quality time together and by doing it, you know, device free. Um, yeah. So but and as I said, can support all those other benefits as well in terms of our mental health. So that's the first one. Um in terms of I suppose key nutrients <coughs> and the role that nutrition can play in mental health. There's there's kind of two key focus areas in terms of the research at the moment, and and it's quite new, it's quite emerging, and it's really exciting. So the first one is around the hippocampus in the brain. So the hippocampus is an area that is responsible for um, it's associated with learning, cognition, and mood. So a lot of studies will look at how different foods that we eat can affect, can affect the volume of grey matter in the hippocampus. So the grey matter are the cells that process information there. And then the rate that new cells are created as well. And then the second area where nutrition can also play a role is in the microbiome. So that's the you know ecosystem of bacteria that live in our gut. And again, this is a super 
interesting field um, in nutrition at the moment because it's only quite recent that we've realized that our bodies aren't our own you know we have trillions of human cells in our body but we also have trillions of bacterial cells and a lot of consumers and public know that okay I need to eat fiber for a healthy gut but you know what really does a healthy gut mean um what we could what we've actually been able to prove in nutrition now is that there's something called the microbiota gut brain axis and what this means is the bacteria in our gut actually have a bi-directional communication with our central nervous system and our central nervous system is you know impacts directly our immune health and our cognition as well so they're the kind of two key areas in our body and two key systems that we can directly impact which will directly impact our immune health and our physical health and our mental health and um, by just altering the foods that we eat and ensuring that we're feeding them properly so i'd say in terms of kind of key nutrients um and i know Eamon, you have a group of seniors you know that you see like three times a week um this is particularly relevant for the elderly so we talk about omega-3s and vitamin d and they're kind of you know two key nutrients that will really support our mental health and our emotional well-being during this time um so omega-3s you get in the likes of oily fish um so having two portions of oily fish per week so that's something like salmon or mackerel and um, will actually support our mental health during this time that during this you know very turbulent time um so i'd say some people you know and some of your listeners might be responsible for doing the shopping for their parents and leaving it at the door or doing their online delivery so i probably just encourage the people that are responsible for that to try to include um, a couple of portions of oily fish in their shopping list um because it's just it's such an easy way to have your omega-3s covered and you know omega-3 deficiency especially in the elderly is actually associated with cognitive decline as well and increased risk of things like parkinson's and other degenerative diseases so um very easy for us to get it but unfortunately it's often overlooked um and uh, <clears throat> vitamin D as well. You covered D. You're talking just a, a supplement in supplement. Yeah, I, yeah I think so because unfortunately, like, well, vitamin D is is you know a vitamin that's obviously, you know, it's like no other. We we can't we don't get most of it in our blood from food, and um, it's actually synthesized in the skin. And in Ireland, we're you know 53 degrees north of the equator, we get indirect sunlight most of the year. So our vitamin D levels are usually highest at the end of the summer. And then um, throughout the long winter then, so around this time of year, they're actually lowest. And vitamin D, you know, a few years ago, it was like a super vitamin. People thought it cured everything. And there was physicians injecting patients with high dose vitamin D thinking it was going to cure everything. But, you know, that's kind of stopped now. But I think people realize the importance of it because, again, it's linked, directly linked to so many different and um, so many different systems in our body. So immune health, again, key very important priority at the moment and also um our mental health as well so really the kind of main way and the best way to get it would be a vitamin d supplement at the moment so any supplement that has about 10 micrograms and you just take that daily and so it's one of the only only times really that uh, we'd advise you know a, a supplement um 
you know, most most things you should be able to get from a diet, but unfortunately, just where we are in the world, vitamin D isn't isn't one of them. So, again, very very important for the elderly. It's also associated with your bone mineral de- density as well. So maybe if you're doing a shop for an older person, um, include some oily fish in there and a vitamin D supplement. Yeah. Love it. What about jacking up the vitamin C intake at the moment? Any yeah, big benefits there? So I suppose vitamin, vitamin C is a funny one because the research that has supported high dose vitamin C um, is, is mostly geared towards endurance athletes. Um, so what you see is a lot of kind of marathon runners and other endurance athletes have a lot of stress on their body and their immune system has actually dampened. So it's at the moment, you know, the public health advice is generally vitamin C for endurance athletes. But because this is quite a stressful time as well, um, and because immune function is so important, I don't think there's any harm in including vitamin C or a supplement, but vitamin C is actually something that we can get from our diet as well. You know, it's not necessary to supplement. So vitamin C is an antioxidant and we know antioxidants play a key role in terms of immune health. Um, and I suppose not, you know, not to go too much into the science, but again, public people, you know, people in the public might know, okay, I know they're important, but I don't really know why. So what, what antioxidants mm. do is they protect the body from oxidative stress. So oxidative stress is, you know, oxidation. And you might remember from kind of junior surf science, it's a normal process in the body. It just means the transfer of one electron from a molecule to another. And there's these compounds in the body called free radicals, and they're basically scavengers and they, and they go around and they're extremely reactive and, and they're unstable. Um, so if you can imagine, I don't know, someone in copper is at 2 a.m., like, you know, a desperado running around wants to react with everything. That's essentially what free radicals are. And, <laughs> and antioxidants, I suppose, are your friend that's taking for the team, you know? And so antioxidants will go and they'll transfer an electron um, and they won't become unstable themselves. So I suppose we only have oxidative stress when there isn't enough antioxidants in our body to tackle these free radicals. Um, And oxidative stress is associated with long-term inflammation. It's associated with chronic diseases. It's also associated with aging. And that's that's why, you know, the beauty industry pumps a whole lot of money into promoting vitamin C creams for skin and that type of thing. So I think in terms of vitamin C, I think we can get it from our diet. Um, it's quite um, an unstable vitamin. So, you know, um, boiling the likes of carrots and that type of thing will destroy it. So I think eating a combination of raw and cooked fruit and vegetables should have you covered in terms of your vitamin C intake. Yeah. yeah, nice. I definitely, uh, I'm soaking up the placebo effect here every day with my fizzy vitamin C. Just feel like a champ when I slam that. I'm like, yeah, no coronavirus yeah, getting me. You know, it, they will only cause an effect if you're deficient in something. But with vitamin C, it's a water soluble vitamin. So anything you don't need, like, you will piss out, you know. So it's like, yeah. you're not doing yourself yeah. any harm. But it's when people are taking, you know, a whole host of multivitamins and, some of them are fat soluble and you're like, well, they're just going to be stored in your body. And there's been, you know, studies you know, back in the nineties where we looked at kind of the cause of, you know, antioxidants and cancer um, and high dose supplementation of antioxidants 
um, and the risk of cancer. And there's kind of two hallmark studies in nutrition where the both had to be stopped prematurely um, because a lot of the, the participants actually got cancer or were at increased risk of getting cancer. So what we do know in terms of supplementation is our body does seem to know the difference in terms of whole foods versus, you know, a pill that we take. There's a lower risk, obviously, you know, with something like water-soluble vitamins um, because whatever you don't, you're essentially just having expensive urine, you know, that kind of way. Um, so in yeah. terms of supplementation, there's very few times where there'll be public health advice to supplement. And when there is, the research has to be extremely strong. So the cases of that will be, you know, vitamin D because of where we are uh, in the world, folic acid for any woman of childbearing age, um so you know and which is very counterintuitive for a lot of women that are taking the pill but we should be taking folic acid as well just in case you know over 50 percent of pregnancies are unplanned um in ireland um and then you know vitamin d as i said for the elderly um and i mean that's really that's essentially it and vitamin d for breastfeeding um, and non-breastfeeding women as well and then obviously you know supplementation for performance is a totally different ballgame then as well because you can absolutely yeah. supplement um, you know, to increase your sporting performance and there's a lot of research around that but I suppose that's not you know, the general population. Yeah. Um, we, covered, we covered a lot of kind of mm. do's, some excellent do's as regarding to what we can do. There's one thing I'd like to touch on uh, which you know, I'm, I'm victim to myself is uh, buying biscuits and eating them too much because they're hanging around the house. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. obviously, with the uh, potential to uh, go over in our calorie count for the day, etc., etc., what effect or if any is it going to have on our mental health consumption of sugar throughout the day, excessive consumption yeah, of sugar? Do you know, this is, I suppose, I would struggle with this as well, Neil, to be quite honest. I'm a big believer. Um, but you know, I think sugar has been demonized in the media um, a lot. And, you know, we know that, you know, consuming a majority of extremely palatable foods, um, you know, that aren't nutrient dense um, can lead not only to chronic diseases, but have negative impact um, on our mental health as well. And a lot of that will actually be due to the kind of high, you know, high blood sugar highs, and then the big trough that you'll have where your where your blood sugar will drop and you'll be feeling lethargic. Um, and the reality is, you know, if if your diet is primarily made up of these kind of foods, um, you're not going to have good energy levels. You're probably going to be deficient in a lot of vitamins that you need uh, to support normal energy yielding metabolism. Uh, so things like magnesium and B vitamins. Um, but at the same time, what I would say is you know, a bit of sugar is okay. Um, like, and I think, as I said, you know, there's there's a lot of misinformation out there in terms of, and sugar has been the latest one, you know, years ago it was, oh, you should only be having low fat. And then it was like, oh no, you should only be doing low carb. And then it was like, meat causes cancer. And and then the most recent one is, you know, sugar is, is like cocaine. Sugar is as addictive as cocaine. Um. And kind of how we get this information, like even if the original content was from a study that's well-renowned um, or, you know, well-established in the literature, what happens is even reputable papers, um, they'd report on it, but 
the journalists won't have a, a background in science. So what they'll do is they'll read the study and then just misinterpret it and say, oh, X causes Y. You know, whereas really it's like, okay, mm. no, it was a slight correlation that was found or maybe an increased risk that maybe wasn't even statistically significant. Um, so really the background in, in sugar is, you know, there was a rodent study um, that showed that rats that ate, you know, high volumes of sugar, their hedonistic pathway was stimulated. So that's our reward center in the brain. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's essentially how you release dopamine. And they compared that to, um, which it is the same pathway that's stimulated through drug use. But I mean, that's a normal pathway that's stimulated every day throughout our lives. You know, exercise will stimulate it. Um, you know, having sex will stimulate it. Receiving a compliment will stimulate that pathway. So for something to be, really yeah getting it getting a lot getting a like <laughs> oh, on facebook yeah, exactly yeah all, all the ones that are going <laughs> little, little dopamine hit rolling in after this podcast you know our head in mystic path <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah so so i think and I, I for me i found this quite frustrating when when all this you know media around we saw pictures of sugar and then you know cocaine everywhere and and it just creates fear around certain foods. And, you know, there's definitely space in the diet for everything, just in moderation. So, like, for a substance to be addictive, like, it'll need to meet a huge number of criteria. So you'll need to get cravings for it. So you could argue, yeah, you get cravings for sugar. But you'll also, you know, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> but also, like, any palatable food. So something like Pringles, you know, with MSG in it. Like, absolutely get cravings for that. Um, chocolate hobnobs, you know, where there's fat and sugar combined. Um, the reality is, like, we just live in an obesogenic environment where these palatable foods have been engineered to <clears throat> taste amazing. So I think, I think it's not that they're yeah. addicted, like, you know, and it is, it is a controversial topic at the moment, and even in, even in nutrition research, because they're, you know, it is the same pathway and not to get too, you know, too into like the science and the nitty gritty of it. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, sugar doesn't really meet the, the thresholds for an addictive substance. You know, for a substance like cocaine, it causes long-term changes in your brain biochemistry. Sugar won't do that. Um, you know, and you also yeah. build up a tolerance to addictive substances where you don't even consume them anymore to experience the high you consume them to just avoid withdrawal you know that's not that's not the case with sugar so so i suppose i suppose in a long-winded roundabout way what i'm trying to say is and know your know your trigger food so for me as i said it's it's chocolate hobnobs i just can't have them in the house there's something about like the baked mm. oats and then and then the, <laughs> you know and, then the chocolate. and i just i know i can't have one so i just don't buy them it's just not worth it so it's like you pick the treats that you are comfortable with, that you think you're going to be able to consume in moderation. Because the reality is, you know, with these amazing foods out there, it's very hard to stay disciplined all the time. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean they're addictive. It just means that they're more, you know, that kind of way. So, so still enjoy yeah. your treats. But yeah. for me, again, wouldn't be able to have Pringles in the house. I wouldn't, I'd eat an entire package. So whether it's, you know, dark chocolate or mm. maybe some homemade treats, um, 
something that you're like, I'll enjoy it and I'll be able to stop. Look, as I think I probably went in a very long-winded roundabout way, um, but I'm just saying I think there's probably room in everybody's diet for essentially every food group, unless you have some sort of proven food intolerance. Um, so, you know, if, if you are having, like I said, a couple of biscuits um, with some tea at the end of the day, you know, realistically, there is probably space for you to do that and achieve your goals. And we don't need to overly restrict ourselves. Um, but if, like me, you know, we have, uh, if you had a pack of chocolate hobnobs in the house and you'd have to sit down and eat everything, then, <laughs> then you know, it's probably something that you need to avoid. So, like, you looking internally and at your own relationship with food and, um, and deciding what's right for you. Yeah. Amazing. One thing <laughs> I know um, we said we'd finish up, but one thing we didn't touch on, uh, which I think could be of interest, would be hydration. This is my biggest, this has always been my biggest struggle in nutrition. I am just so bad at drinking water. My wife is amazing. She just guzzles all day. Um, what are we talking? Are we, are we, uh, should we be focusing extra hard on getting that bit of hydration in this tough time now sitting around the house? Do you know, um, I mean, we know hydration is, is super important um, for all bodily functions. But again, I actually think this is one area in terms of nutrition that we see in the media, that's it's probably over-highlighted. Um, mm. And I had one really interesting lecturer um, called Dr. Brendan Egan. Um, we did, you know, nearly a whole module on hydration. Um, and the reality is, you know, unless you're um, an elite athlete um, that's, you know, that's performing in a very hot climate, um where your hydration levels are is really going to impact your sporting performance for the real for the most of us where we live in a very temperate climate um how your bodies are very eating our homeostasis and our hydration levels themselves i mean we get a lot of our moisture from the food that we eat over half of um of the water that we'll get per day will actually be from the food that we eat and then on top of well. that, but yeah, and so and then on top of that, it's whatever um, fluid we'll, we'll um, ingest as well. So, like a really your hydration, the color of your pee. So if you wake up in the morning and it's it's you know a dark yellow um, or nearly brown, you're clearly dehydrated. So all you need to do is have a pint of water. You could even include maybe a diorolite, you know, to have some electrolytes as well. And then in an hour's time, if you go to the toilet again, you'll probably see a marked improvement. And, you yeah. know, you're, but a lot of people think, you know, hydration push so much. Stop, dog. Oh, dog's having a little meltdown. I don't know what's wrong with her. <laughs> She's dehydrated. <laughs> She's dehydrated. I'll check the color for me. <laughs> but, um, but what were we saying? So, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, and if you're dehydrated, it's just a pint of water, maybe some electrolytes. And then, if you test that again in, a, in an hour's time, you know, your pee should just be kind of a light yellow. And I think in terms of the media and, you know, all these bloggers saying like, oh, you know, I drink like five litres of water a day and, you know, their pee is clear all the time. Like that's actually not that healthy. So mm. our pee should be slightly yellow. Um, and again, like everybody is different and different hydration levels will suit different people. So if you're getting a headache at the end of the day, like a very easy way. Um, to try to mitigate against that is is you know drinking water yeah. throughout the day 
Um, and also our satiety cues, a lot of people will mix up being hungry and being thirsty. Very good um, point, actually, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a good tool where you can actually, you know, drink water um, and then see if you're still hungry afterwards. And, you know, again, quite a good tool for weight loss. So there's yeah. a couple of things there, but again, you know, if you're stressed out that you haven't had all your liters of water every day, like I, I, there's more important things. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, that, that was a great point about the... Uh, hunger cues as well because definitely sitting around the house I find if I if sometimes I just have a drink of water I'm like okay I wasn't even that hungry I can wait on for another hour or so you know 100% yeah absolutely mm. but uh, yeah so by far the longest podcast I've recorded <laughs> so far but I absolutely I love the cast no I love it I love it like I said I'm, we're always chatting in the gym and I just sponge this stuff up I love talking to people that know way more than me about stuff that I try to learn about so I really appreciate you taking time and uh, we'll have many more chats like this no, absolutely. So thanks a lot for having me. And I right, uh, can't wait to see how you edit out all my long There will be no edits. <laughs> I told you, it's our podcast. We no. do what we want. And our five listeners can like it or lump it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cass. Thanks a million. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.